Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Kevin, hold tight. Yeah, do you want me to call Doc or do you have Doc? No, you're good. I'm here. Okay. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK, all the way from Tucson. How are you, PK? Absolutely fabulous. Had a wonderful day. Weather's getting to be beautiful. Can't beat it. Hey, I'm all happy the for you. flowers. I and cannot believe even- with all the rains that we've complained about. But the earth is just peppered with spring flowers everywhere you go. It's just beautiful. Beautiful. That's great. Well, we're even getting sunshine, and I hope some warmer temperatures here in New England. And do we have a great, great show planned tonight for everybody. We have two tremendous guests, Detective Kevin Gannon and Dr. Lee Gilbertson from the Oxygen Television series, The Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice. And they're going to join us in just a few minutes. But first, PK, we got to check in with you and see what you've been up to. I know you've been looking at the numbers of these cases, and you have some information. So tell us what's going on. Well, one of the things that I keep picking up, well, firstly, we're going to, as soon as April hits here, hang on to your seat because there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be made known to us. Secrets are going to start popping up here, there, and everywhere. I'm just going to use the phrase, Follow the breadcrumbs because things are going to happen. Now, everyone will have a difficult time sleeping tonight. I shouldn't say everyone. The majority of people will have a difficult time sleeping tonight because there's a lot of things going on. And secrets are just on the verge of popping out. All these things that have been ongoing where we're, there's no common denominator that makes us feel more positive about what's happening than the fact that all these different issues taking place in different places and yet they're like a mirror of one another doesn't matter what part of the country where we are what's going on they're happening it's a time when you're going to have to start taking a look at not just what we think is going on open the mind a little bit and take let the, the mind take a better look into what's taking place. The common thread, is there something going on within family? We'll say family or blood relatives. What's the common denominator about the cases that we're going to be talking about tonight? What issue that makes it so open for us to see that is totally different from what we would expect? There's wow. so many. So we're, we're in, in for some surprises, huh? Oh, very much so. And our two guests tonight are going to rattle some people's cages because they have information that 
we need to know. People need to pay attention. But everyone kind of, I shouldn't say everyone, too many people sidestep it and think, well, it's going to be okay. But what is the common thread that goes on with all of these cases in different areas, different parts, different families? Is it, is it something to do with uh, the genetics? Has it something to do, you know, with, uh, is there a blood relative connection somewhere along the line to the perpetrator or to those that are being chosen, shall we say, as the victim? Hate to put it that way. That's a joke. I know. But ch- I know. Well, there's there's got to be something going on here, and I just love what this team of detectives is go- is doing because this takes a lot of guts. These men oh, God, are yes. walking into uncharted territory. They are looking at the facts and coming up with very different conclusions. And you know that a lot of police departments do not want to hear about that. And this is not to disparage the police in any way. They have a tough job. But these cases need to be looked at as homicides. And this is what Detective Gannon and Dr. Gilbertson and their Mm -hmm. other two team members are doing. And we're very grateful to them for the work that they're doing. We want to encourage our audience to get behind this effort also and take part in the conversation. I know they have a Facebook page, and we are hoping that Mm -hmm. their series is going to get renewed because it was a very, very compelling series. It was terrific. And, again, it brought all of these things to light. As you mentioned, PK, we, we really shouldn't turn away from this. We need to pay attention because it's still going on, and it looks like it may be global. Well, that's the part that's crazy about it. There's got to be some type of a common thread somewhere. It's just impossible that so much similarity could go on in so many different places. Yes, Is there's got to be something. Well, I'm going to introduce these gentlemen now. I know. We're going to ask questions, and we're going to see uh, what else we can bring to this conversation. So tonight, we have Detective Kevin Gannon. He he retired as a sergeant in the Detective Bureau from the New York City Police Department after 20 years of service, which included more than 14 years as a supervisor. He has diversified training and experience in personal and physical security, investigation, surveillance, and disaster response. Now, I, we could, I could just spend the whole show reading these guys' resumes because they are so illustrious in what they have accomplished. These are the best of the best. Detective Gannon has made over 1,000 felony apprehensions for crimes involving narcotics, burglaries, robberies, and mm-hmm. homicides. And he has been awarded almost 100 medals for bravery. He was the most decorated member of the Special Investigation Division of the Detective Bureau and one of the most highly decorated sergeants in the NYPD before his retirement. He also received the Medal of Valor twice from Mayor Rudy Giuliani for heroism in the line of duty. As I said, we could go on and on with the accomplishments here of Detective Gannon. And we also have Dr. Lee Gilbertson with us tonight. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Gilbertson holds a doctorate in sociology with a concentration in gangs and substance abuse. He also has a Master of Science in Criminal Justice where he focused on criminology and victimology. His background also includes 16 years of exemplary military service, infantry and signals intelligence from 1976 
1992. Uh, my goodness, these men are, are really incredible. Now, also, Dr. Gilbertson is a staff member of the National Gang Crime Research Center and has participated in every iteration of its International Gang Specialist Training Conference. He's a three-time recipient of the Frederick Milton Thrasher Award and is the executive editor for the Journal of Gang Research. So we are very, very honored to have both of these gentlemen with us tonight, and we are talking about the smiley-faced killers. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, thank you. It's great to have you with us, and we're, we're very, very happy that you're with us, although the subject we're talking about is a bit terrifying and daunting, but you have taken this on. You've decided that you're going to get to the bottom of it. Kevin, let's start with you. How did you come across these cases and decide that they were worth looking into? Well, uh, in 1997, I was assigned to the uh, missing persons uh, division of the Detective Bureau, and uh-huh. the first case was the Patrick McNeil in February of 2000, uh, 1997. And Everything I uncovered from Patrick's case told me that Patrick could not have wound up where he was recovered 12, uh, 12 miles uh, away from where he went missing in Manhattan for, uh, 50 days later. So to me, I checked with NYPD Harbor, the currents, the, you know, everything with, with the way the river flowed, and there was no way he would have wound up out there. And um, so I knew it was suspicious, and then I had two similar cases within the next uh, 15 months. So we had three cases which basically ultimately made it a serial. And I told my bosses that, you know, and, and two of the young men actually wound up at the same exact spot within like, you know, 10 or 15 feet of each other. So there's no way that they would have came there. The only way I, I uncovered that they could have wound up in Brooklyn was somebody would have had to driven the bodies to that location and deposited them very close to where they were recovered because there was no real current out where they were recovered by this water treatment plant. So at that point, I wanted to investigate them. My, my supervisors were like, uh, the bodies are recovered now. That's not your investigation anymore. It's now a detective, uh, a Brooklyn detective case because they recovered in Brooklyn. And um, that's it, you know. And uh, they said, you know, nobody wanted to make this into a what, what was be a serial at that point. And I always say the two most dreaded words in any police department, especially NYPD, after the Son of Sam investigation from 76 to 77, which is, serial killer, and then what ultimately is going to follow, which is task force. And nobody wants a task force because uh, it's just too much manpower, money, and everything else. And in 1976, when they, that, think about this, this is over 40 years ago, it was 90000 right. a day to hire the detectives to, you know, to look into the Son of Sam case. It would be billions of dollars a day, and nobody wants to get involved with that. So it was just basically let it go. They were just you – know, silly drunk young men who fell into the river and drowned and, and that was it. But I always promised the family when I retired that I would look into them, never expecting it would come to the magnitude that it is today. Well, good work, both of you guys. I mean, this, this is very disturbing because all of these men that have been targeted, there are commonalities within this group. So they're young, they're athletic, they're bright, uh, they are the same body type also. Any other similarities that I've missed? Uh, many of them have uh, the same college major. A lot, Most of them are in uh, some form of engineering. Oh, really? Hmm. Oh, my. So um, and almost all engineering. Generally oh, speaking, 
Yeah, generally, yeah, it's either electrical engineering, computer engineering, uh, mechanical, uh, some biomedical, but, you know, some form of engineering. So there, uh, if you wanted to go just a little broader, you could say that most of them fall within the STEM category, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Okay. Mm. So, Gosh, uh, and, and these are the, the thing that's also so upsetting uh, when when I was watching these these episodes that you were in is the fact that these are young men, bright men that had their whole lives ahead of them, and all described as really good people, really good men. So these were not just the dregs of society; they were picking the best of what we have. And abducting them, taking them God knows where. And some of these men would be missing for up to 77 days. And then suddenly they find the body in water in a place they've searched before. There's, these are a Correct. lot of mysteries with us. A lot of mysteries. So tell us, tell us more about what concerns yeah. you about these cases. Well, like, like you said, uh, and, and first off, I'd like to thank you for inviting us on. Uh, as a victimologist, uh, you know, there's uh, too often there's nothing we can do because the crime and the victimization has already occurred. But as a victimologist, I know that I can reach out to people and get them smart, inform them about the scenarios and what's going on, and then hopefully we can have some prevention. So hopefully that's what we can accomplish with this. Um, relative to these young men, you're exactly correct. Uh, not only are they extremely intelligent and athletic, uh, some of them aren't in, you know, organized sports, but they have this natural athletic ability and they're involved in like skiing and stuff on their own. But every one of them is engaged in their community and in their church. Ah, uh, that's an interesting common ground. Yeah, that is an interesting. And these poor parents, I mean, our hearts go out to the parents and the family members in all of these cases. I, I just can't even imagine the devastation that they feel, uh, the shock that they must feel. And then you both have to go talk to them about the possibility that they were murdered. But then what you're met with is actually they agree with you. They think, in fact, yes, their sons were murdered. Well, that's one thing that a lot of folks don't don't know about how how we do this. We we do not believe in revictimizing the families, so we don't reach out to them. Uh, in a in a couple of cases, uh, there was one case because the victim had the same last name as me, and so I reached out to the family because of that and I, I said that you know i'm sorry to hear about it but we generally we wait until the family is ready and they reach out to us well that's, that's a very good. respectful way to do it yes very i good. totally understand why you do it that way that makes a lot of sense but so far they don't disagree with you they agree with you they feel that the police did not do the best investigation and their sons didn't suffer from an accidental drowning. They weren't. In fact, one of the cases, one of the young men didn't drink alcohol at all, yet the police attributed his drowning to drinking. I mean, it's, it's just incredible to us the way these yeah. things have been left. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I don't, think, I don't think law enforcement 
no, like I said, we we try not to, you know, to disparage law enforcement. It's just that uh, I don't think most, and believe me, before I got involved in this, I mean, I had a lot of experience with homicide, but I knew nothing about really drowning deaths and decomposition and the level of decomposition and how, how a body would look. But after, you know, obviously seeing 350, you know, cases that plus that we have in our database, you know, we've, we've really developed, uh, you know, and, and writing that forensic textbook, which took, you know, two, two and a half years of, you know, research and everything. We've been able to, you know, compile a pretty good, uh, you know, format of what bodies look like depending upon the temperature, how long they're missing, whether it's for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, you know, you know, one, two days, you know. So we, we have seen, you know, a, a multitude of, of cases where I don't think – most law enforcement officers have seen that, especially in big cities. It's usually a shooting stabbing. It's usually in a project. It's in New York. It's in the South Bronx. Or it's in Brooklyn. It's, you know, uh, a couple of Manhattan if it's a robbery. But, and then, you know, Chicago, big cities, and the South Side, and gun violence and drugs. You're not seeing a lot of this. So I don't think they, first of all, they have the experience. And then you get the smaller departments in these small little cities and towns, you know, uh, in the Midwest, which really probably don't even have that many homicides, much less a drowning homicide. So, you know, they, they, you know, we're just trying to supply them evidence. But, you know, when the kids are drinking, you know, there's alcohol involved and men are usually more risky in behavior and travel, you know, independently than women who are usually smarter and, and travel together in groups and packs that they just figure they're another stupid drunk kid that fell into the water and uh, you know basically closed it shut as, as, as quick as possible you know so right. and right. If, you, yeah. if you don't have clear signs of a homicide money to you know keep you know investigating a case where there's no leads whatsoever so you really you know and there's even techniques about you know recovering bodies in water they don't they should the FBI has some protocols they should bag the bodies in water so you don't lose hair or fibers and you know um so there's, there's certain things that they could do better, and then maybe there would be DNA, a touch DNA on the clothing if somebody threw them in. And, but you know, we're not getting that. So you know, and then when they get the body, like I said, they don't test it. They're not testing the GH, I mean, GHB drugs in the body or DNA on the body. And we've done that. We figured, listen, these kids have to be drugged. We put this together back in 2000, and I guess a little after 2006. And uh, and because of that case, the one living survivor in La Crosse, Wisconsin, we started looking for a drug called GHB. And at that point, we started finding it like at all our victims, you know, except one of the cases, Todd Guy, who had antipsychotic medicine enough to kill a horse. But but uh, you know, most of them had almost 100 percent, 99.9 percent of them had this GHB in it, which is a date rape drug used to facilitate rapes, and it's usually only given to women. And so you have men with this drug, and it's odorless, colorless, tasteless. So that was a perfect drug to give somebody where, you know, they could really just abduct somebody, you know, towards the end of closing time at these bars when everybody is, you know, getting their coat, going to the bathroom, going outside. They're all boxed, and then they just walk these kids right out the door. And we've had a couple of doctors explain. We've had a couple of attempted abductions where they, you know, they always say, why did the killers make mistakes? Well, they have made mistakes. We've, we've had individuals who actually confronted them when they were trying to take their friends out of the bar and got their friend back. And then they, you know, drove off, you know, speeding away. So Doc can tell you one of those mm-hmm. cases that we had up in Minnesota. Doc, you want to tell them that? Now, were you able yeah, to, to get any descriptions on these people? We do. We're not going well, to give that out right now. We tried to give that to law enforcement, but we're not, we're not going to give out exactly, you know, who the group is and, and, and who, what, you know, what, they're, uh, what they look like right now on, on the radio, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. 
Yeah. Right. So we have uh, overtime uh, in the past. Um, I had about 14 uh, different people contact me. In some cases, it was their own story from what they remember because they were, you know, stereotypically in these cases, they're all separated from their friends. But about eight of the cases, it was the friends who contacted me to, to tell the story. And huh. the story that they narrate is how they're in the bar and it's like, where did Tom go? And they look and they see him being escorted out the front door by a couple of fellas. And wow. so they pursue him and end up in a fight out on the sidewalk with these guys and the bouncers helping them. You know, and they manage to rescue their friend and the vehicle drives off. Um, but uh, suffice it to say, because like, you know, the graffiti that we're sitting on, uh, besides the smiley face, that's the only one we've let out there. But the graffiti and exact descriptions, uh, we have gotten those as to age, gender, uh, color of hair, clothing style, and stuff like that. Wow. So you Today, have a lot more information than we know about. That too. Mm-hmm. Well, well, how many, people, this, how many people seem to be involved with, when, you, when they're walking them out or do they – they see them with others. Is it uh, more than two or one that leads somebody out? Three to four. Two, usually two, two oh. in the escort process, and then uh, a couple, two, three in the vehicle. Right. Out of so there's one of the answers I said, Patricia, I spoke to the, the individual. I said, so he goes, I think my friend would have been one in Minnesota. He said, I think this one time, he said, I think my, they threw him in a white van, the van drove off, the door opened, and he said, I think my friend was going to be one of your victims. I said, well, it sounds like it. Tell me, when did he wake up the next day? How long did he sleep for? He said, oh, like 12 hours. I said, what did he remember? He said he didn't remember a thing, but yet he was functioning completely normal. He was still able to speak and talk just really like in a, mm. like a, like a blind spot, you know, where he was like, he, wasn't, he was still at the bar, he was still talking, he was still functioning. Walked out with these guys. They weren't dragging him. You know, so he was just like leading the, like, you know, the blind, but he was walking out, talking to these guys, whatever, getting in, not knowing who they are, not really to differentiate between his friends or something, or these good guys, bad guys, and and then doesn't remember any of it the next day. So it's, you're kind of like in a like a zombie land, you know, with this GHB Yeah, stuff. well, yeah, I mean, you're really Three. describing mind control in some ways. I mean, I was reading online uh, one of the uh, the people, Dakota James, that you investigated, and something about five weeks before he died. He called a friend one night begging to be picked up, and he was disoriented. He told her he remembered nothing from the last four hours of the night. Mm -hmm. And when she picked him up, this is the interesting thing, he was walking out of a hotel towards a dark SUV, which was facing the wrong direction and parked in the wrong lane. And the friend told uh, this particular um, newspaper that she screamed her friend's name, he got into her car, but he couldn't give any details about what had happened to him. So if it hadn't been for right. her, at that point, he would have walked into that other car like nothing, like nothing, right. like a magnet was drawing him in. I mean, that, right. to me, it, it says there's a little bit more than just GHB going on. What about you guys? What do you think about that? Well, I don't think, I, I'm not really into mind control stuff, even though I, I know this, there's some people who, 
tried to use that before, obviously, uh, in the military. I know we know an individual who was involved in that kind of stuff all the way back right. from the uh, Iran-Contra scandal and, and, and stuff like that. But for us, to me, I don't – like they asked me, what do you think that car was? I don't know. It was either one. Obviously, we think that car was staking him out, was following him, was yes. hoping he would, would get into that car. The question was, was that an attempted abduction that night, or was it just a practice run for what would eventually occur? We don't know. I mean, if he had gotten mm-hmm. in, maybe they would have taken him that night. Maybe they didn't. But obviously, he was terrified for his life, felt terrified. Should have went to the hospital. She should have took him. But at that point, she said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But she said, I think, I think he was drunk. You should go to the hospital. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. He was so, so distraught. But look what happens. Then a week later, so. You're right. You know, five weeks us, later, it was a test yeah. Run. It was a test yeah. run, or it was, you know, or five weeks later. Was it a test run, or was it, you know, an attempt at abduction that went wrong? We don't know. I mean, but the idea is obviously we know they stake our victims out. We know that these guys, some of them are training, some of them have actually like military training. There's surveillance, counter surveillance. They watch them. There's no way you could grab. 40, 50 guys that are, you know, biological, chemical, and electrical engineers, unless you were, you know, specifically looking at them, because there's thousands of kids going to colleges. How do you just keep picking these little ones, or they're involved in mm-hmm. criminal justice, or involved That's in right. medicine? Mm-hmm. Or, That's for sure. You know, you would just have all, you would have all different, you know, characteristics, as Doc says, across the, uh, the spear, and, and and also, as Doc always said, there's no tall. Real tall, skinny ones and tall, fat ones. Those short, fat ones and short, skinny ones. There's always, like you said at the beginning of the show, that one demographic, five, nine, six feet, 160 to 190 pounds. You know, they're, they're all right in this, this athletic fold. And all these kids, you know, are, 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 you know, the best of the best, as we always say, you know. Yes. Is there anything about nationality that might be the same within the group? You know, we saw something you wrote on an email to us about that that yeah. wrote that book four one one about German heritage. But to be honest with you, no, we we had an, a, a big sheet, but we never got the parents to fill everything out. Where we had all these questions: nationality, religious, you know, affiliations, blah 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 blah. You know, uh, you know, subjects in school and whatever, and athletics. But no, we had never put anything that composite. Did you know anything about that, Doc? No, yeah. I remember we talked about that way back at the beginning, and and if you look in the back of the book, I've got like 108 variables in our database, mm-hmm. and one of them was not only religion because religion can be you know a label that's applied to you by your parents. So right. we look at religion as well as spirituality and their sense of uh, what what we do here are their consequences after death either in an afterlife or a next life or, you know, whatever their belief system is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked at it at first because, and, and I saw that in your email on Politis's book, uh, he sent me a copy of it. So I've read it and I, I thank him for, he praised us quite well in there. But the, um, the comment that many of them are German and at, you know, at first, because I, I speak Czech and German, so I was just doing uh, stereotyping their last names. You know, they're Bohemian or, you know, uh, German or Polish or Czech right. or whatever. And there's a lot of European, but it, that really doesn't hold. And okay. the only reason it kind of fits that is because 
you're talking about cities that were established by, uh, you know, immigrant populations tend to congregate with their own kind. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right, so, they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like where I grew up, it was you were either German or Norwegian. <laughs> you know, you grew up <laughs> north in entire cities that are uh, nothing English but Italian. Italian. <laughs> right. Yeah, so when you get into a city like, uh, or you get into a state like Minnesota or Wisconsin, you're going to have, uh, I think, when I was at Ancestries and stuff, 71% of the original immigrants to Minnesota were German. Right. You know, so and don't you have a cluster yeah. there? In oh, Minnesota? yeah, we do in Minneapolis and Milwaukee and La Crosse, and, you know, they're all German cities. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, but as soon as you we've... get to a place that's a really, really ethnically and culturally diverse, um, like New York City or Chicago, then that breaks down. Then you start picking up individuals right. from Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, uh, China. Right. Well, to be fair, what Paulides is talking about, because I've read all seven of his books, and he oh. is very, very specific that one he when he has looked into this, what he has found is not necessarily 100% German, but he has found people of German heritage. So they could have some ancestor, uh, grandparent, great-grandparent, whatever. So they have some German. Now, there have been five physicists that have gone missing in the United States, and every one of them was German. So Cause there what? is something going on with that, what I think. Five, uh, five, five, what, 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 physicists. Five physicists oh, physicists. have gone oh, missing. Oh, I've heard about the different physicists. Yeah, physicists. And they no bodies have never been found, disappeared without a trace. So there may be something, oh, yeah. to, uh, I think, to what David has found. Um, and, again, it may be that there is some piece of a heritage, of, you know, some ancestry back to, that leads back to Germany. But certainly you have identified a number of coherent facts about how these young men are somehow connected and why they're being targeted. So there's, there's this big mystery of why them, best and the brightest. Now there's also the mystery of the fact that they're taken and they're taken someplace for a period of time. Well, what are your thoughts well, on that? Yeah, uh, well, you know, we've been trying to <laughs> We're trying That's to figure it out. Question. One thing we, we know is that we know there's not sexual assaults. We know they there are some physical assaults on the body that you've seen. So um, we've also spoken. We've also had some confidential informants, and we we know that there's been some some you know just regular mind torture, which sometimes they say is worse than regular torture. Like how do you feel about dying today, or how do you you know how do you feel about dying tomorrow? You know, so it's like one of those kind of things. You know, even if you were taken in Afghanistan, you're you're, you're always worried that eventually they're going to be looking to chop your head off. When are you going to die? And it's like, geez, how, how am I going to get out of here? So I don't know. Right. You know, sometimes the the, the the thought of death is worse than the act of death itself. So that's you know that's maybe part of this sickness or just this uh, mental torture that they use. But uh, I don't know specifically. What else it would entail? I mean, like, unless Doc has some, may have some other ideas of what possibly could be going on during the, the period of time that they're holding them and drugging them and, and everything else. So I don't know. But it's definitely not about kidnappings or, 
or money or anything else. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not a ransom yes. kind of thing at all. So. It's not something that we can easily wrap our minds around. I think the usual reference points, like what you're talking about, kidnapping or torturing right. someone. I mean, these bodies are, are you're finding don't have the typical torture uh, marks on them. So that's not doesn't appear to be going on physically. This is not anything ordinary. Everything that you guys have uncovered, God bless you for doing this. But this is not easy work because it is not what we're used to seeing at all. Even with serial killers, they don't, I mean, don't serial killers usually work alone, not in groups? Yeah, most of the time they do. But obviously, like, that's why we look at this differently. We look at this as uh, domestic terrorism. We always said because the fact that there's a multitude, you know, of uh, individuals involved in these, you know, in this organization and cells is no different than, any other, and, and fortunate enough that I was able to find Doc, that was another whole epiphany in itself. But uh, the fact that I, I had never known that he was a gang expert or a military expert in signals intelligence and put together all these maps and tracking the uh, Scud missiles during the Iraq war. But I, I, I saw his the study that his young women in his graduate class had done when they were they were looking at the I-94, uh, first the I-94 serial killer, and he did, developed a distinct pattern in the Midwest, it went from east-west, east-west, north-south, and then back to east-west, east-west, north-south again. So I said, that's so specific that, wow, it didn't come on with the other cases I had on the East Coast. But I said, I wonder if they could. And we came out there and we spoke together. I said, i got to find that guy. And then my partner, Anthony, was like, why that guy? I said, listen, I'm just telling you. I know i got to find that guy. Not Like I said, not knowing that he, that he was a signal intelligence expert. I, just the fact, I said, if he can do what he did with that study, he can take all of our material, put it on a map, make sense of it. You can understand, you know, my psychotic uh, information here and, and, and make heads and tails of it. I said, we got to go find him. And we did. And then, you know, after we went together for two or three hours, we started coming to the fact that maybe this is not one individual because we had multiple victims on the same night in different cities. So he said, you know, could this be a group? And he said, well, gee, I don't I never thought of it like that, but, you know, I'm a gang expert. You know, could it be, could it be gang-oriented? And, we, and that's how we, 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 we got together and uh, started working together for the last 12 years. What wow. is it that you think that they're after? What is it that you think the people that are abducting these people, what is it that they're after? Is it to terrorize people, or is there something more involved in it? Well, well I, I think a little bit uh, of both. That's a good question, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that the motive and that that plays a little bit to their other question there about the time. I mean, these these abductions are so anomalous; they just don't mm-hmm. fit the, the typical crime phenomenon. Uh, not at all. Yeah. If someone's abducted. Uh, that they're sexually abused or physically abused, they're used for labor or they're trafficked mm-hmm. or something. Uh, and what? these kids are all gone for such different periods of time, anywhere from a couple of days to three, four, or five months. And you can't always say, well, they were frozen in the water because the river's been open for, you know, a month and a half yeah. and they're living showing up and then all of a sudden they show up and they're not decomposed. So where have they been? And it's exactly. like... And that's the one thing, even though, you know, when we did our first press conference in 2008, then we started getting all the emails and phone calls. And that's when it was confirmed for us that there were multiple people involved. 
and that there were cells. And But nobody's ever been able to tell us, because we haven't had any survivors that escaped, mm-hmm. you know, after being abducted. We've had some that were liberated during during the abduction, but nobody had to tell us what's going on while they're gone. Right. You know, and like Kevin said, when they test them and look at them during the autopsy, there's no signs of sexual abuse. And there's all kinds of theories out there about what happens to them, you know, that they're traffic used for sex. And some people said they're used for snuff films. And, and But there's no indication of any of that. So the body, yeah, that doesn't seem to fit, yeah. We can't answer the question, what are they taking them for? But be for their DNA? That we can look at and we can say that they are definitely, they have to be some form of hate crime. They're clearly taking the best of the best. Yeah, but could it possibly be that they want to take the DNA from these people or take something from them to give to somebody else? Because they're only choosing a specific style of uh, background, uh, build, etc. Is it they're looking for something like that that's yeah, I, I, out there that they're collecting sperm from them. Yeah, I mean we've heard that before in a whole different arena uh, on our yeah. show. But let me show something out to you guys, okay? Yes, because yes, we've yes. thought about this, and I know you have identified a number of variables. I know Kevin, you and I talked off air about blood types, and I know that's something eventually right. you may look into. But I'll tell you what comes to mind to me. None of this makes any sense until I think about Project Paperclip. And I'm sure, Doc, you know about Project Paperclip. Um, Human experimentation. Nazi scientists, over 1,600 Nazi scientists were brought to this country back in the 40s. And what's to say they're still not doing human experimentation? Now, they certainly would have the technology, probably far advanced. They may be doing human experimentation. They wouldn't want anybody to know what they're doing. And who would they take? Probably young men like this. Now, it's just Mm -hmm. a fantasy, a hypothesis. Call it whatever you want. But in my mind, when, when I think about all of these factors, how these People, the perpetrators are never caught. You don't see them on camera. They disappear. They take these people. They're gone. Then the bodies are dumped in water, and you know they haven't been in water all this time. So something else is going on. But a project like that that was, uh, I know a lot of it was for rockets uh, to be developed and other types of warfare. But human experimentation in Nazi Germany was a very big thing and that we brought so many of those people over here who knows this could be going on i'm just putting a different filter on this there's there's crazy people all over the place i'm not gonna tell you know my body yes and there's crazy crazy smart people people. (laughs) right no and that's for darn sure but there seems to, you know, as, as PK is alluding to here, there seems to be some purpose. There's some mission, especially as you mentioned, if they're using people to grab these guys that have some type of military training. They know what they're doing to be doing it for this period of time and never get caught. You know, and I know people well, make mistakes. Listen, we, we, we did the Tuskegee. We, remember, remember, it's Tuskegee. They had, you know, the 
Tuskegee experiments back then, uh, you know, and when was that in the '60s or whatever? You know uh, what they did on black people. So, you know, because people still oh, be yeah. doing it. We, I mean, we we don't deny. We like we listen. We looked at this thing from the beginning. We looked at cults. We looked at uh, even satanic stuff because we had found some 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 all different kinds of symbols. I mean, <laughs> I can't get into all of them, but so we had to rule out what could be real, what couldn't be real. Is this other symbol connected to the smiley face, or is this not? You know, we had some upside-down crucifixes. We looked at all that kind of stuff, and though that, you know, there could be some, you know, we don't, like Doc said, we don't know the difference of, you know, all the religions of our victims and their, and, and their spirituality just the same way as we don't even know the religious uh, affiliations or spirituality of, you know, the perpetrators. So, you know, that would be something to know. But we, we have been able to put together that obviously – not just these kids are the best, best athletes, best students, come from the best families. And there's an element of, you know, uh, you know, maybe anger or, or hate for something that they don't have that Anthony talked about years ago. But then we know it's more than that. It looks like, it, it looks like what Doc said, that there is an, a real element of hate of these guys, of what they have, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, you know, the life that they don't have, uh, the benefits of, of what they have, um, Maybe even what some people would call, um, what do they call that now, uh, white, uh, what, what do they call it, Doc? <laughs> for, for white people that have... Uh, the, the, like that white have, privilege? Uh, white privilege, that's the way I want to say. Yeah, like, it's like a white privilege. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that was something we even looked at, too, in the beginning, you know, with, with, with the majority of all the kids in the beginning being, you know, white, white individuals, you know, so... You know, see, what's strange is the fact with you've got a camera on almost every street corner anymore, that there hasn't been some type of a of a picture or something taken of these people being taken. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really true. I mean, we've had a couple where the kids were like stumbling drunk, and then bam, you know, it's almost like they knew where to grab the kid. The one kid that we did on the show, William Hurley, I mean. He was on camera walking, and then, bam, he hits like a, a blank spot, and then he's gone. His phone is gone. It's smashed to death. The battery's out. And the girlfriend is, you know, 30 seconds away around the corner, and he's gone. I mean, you know that that was, a, you know, a, an abduction. You know that they, they, they oh, jumped yeah. out. They grabbed him. They drew him in. You know, it was, you know, it was like one of those scenes in uh, the, the movie Shooter where the FBI guy's walking across the bridge, and they grab him, and they throw him in the car. You know, because you might <laughs> yeah. be figuring out that the assassination yeah. was not really uh, an assassination. You know, they were kind of doing like a Kennedy assassination scene, and this guy was figuring it out, so we got to get rid of him. You know, so, um, you know, it, this kid was definitely snatched off the middle of the street, so what happened to him? You know, these guys were mm-hmm. good enough that they had to know where those cameras were and where to grab this kid. Otherwise, oh, yeah. we right. got have a plate and everything, you know? Yeah, Kevin and I went to a, a case in Columbus, Ohio, and we talked to the bouncer who was on duty that night, and there was some construction going on, and he he showed us where the cameras were. And the only way for this individual to get out of the bar was to finagle his way through the construction area, go down the stairs, and then stay within two and a half feet of the outside wall and walk for a half a block down that wall and then cut through the parking ramp. You know, so Jeez. like Kevin said, they know where these cameras are looking. 
And, and we, we, we found exactly how we did it. He said, could he, could he get out here? What about his camera? He said, no, he wouldn't be seen over here. So if he stayed, like Doc said, against the wall, there's a parking lot right there. He could have brought a car right out. He circumvents that camera, puts the individual in the car, and they drive off, and nobody knows anything. And we found out exactly how they could have taken him out. It was the only way he could have got out without being on camera because he was on camera yeah. in and out of the bar all night. That was the mm-hmm. only way he could have got out. That's so, incredible. But you're talking so about a, a, a very – yeah, you're talking about very sophisticated people here that can pull this kind yeah, of thing off. Yeah, without a doubt. Very proficient yeah, yeah, what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, combined with the people who have contacted us and, and told us about uh, their friends being led away and, and stuff like that, we know that there's human intervention. It's not uh, like David's case in, in that book 411. I mean, you got people that are walking, be, you know, one behind the other, and they're talking, and all of a sudden, the one guy doesn't hear the other one, and he turns around, and there's nobody around, and they're standing in a field. And right. It's like, right. Now, those like, are just plain weird. Those are just plain weird. Well, but, there uh, are definitely a lot of cases like that. We definitely have human intervention in ours. Yes, this definitely involves humans. Uh, but there, I will tell you, there is a strange case that you might want to look into. It's slightly different. From what you've been looking into uh, regarding the smiley face killers, but it is telling. Now, this is again a young, a young man fits this profile. Okay, he was from Massachusetts, and he was out in Michigan. He was going to college. He told his roommates, "I'm going to go cross country skiing." He went out to the lake, and he didn't come back. So his roommates called the police and said, "You know, he hasn't come back." And would you please search for him? They went there. They found that his footprints went out to the middle of the lake and just stopped. So they figured he drowned. They told his father, I'm sorry, your son drowned. We can't find him anywhere, but he probably fell through the ice and drowned. Well, this is the interesting part that I think you will, uh, that will pique your interest. This young man, again, fits his profile, very smart, religious, good guy, all of those things. He turned up in a field in Pittsfield, Mass., about 15 months later. He woke up in a field wearing somebody else's clothes. He had a satchel of maps next to him and no memory of where he had been. He made his way to his father's house in Deerfield, Mass., and knocked on the door. I mean, you can only imagine his father opening the door and seeing his son standing there who he thought had died. Now, Paulides contacted this man and said to him, would you please consider undergoing hypnosis so we can find out where you were and what happened to you? But he refused. Strangely enough, he's a, he's a, I believe he's a PhD in psychology and he refuses to go under hypnosis to find out what happened. But somebody like that, could be so valuable to all these cases, even though this one is slightly different. He wasn't grabbed by humans as far as we know. However, this is such an odd case, and he was somewhere for all that time but has absolutely no memory at all. There are a couple of others, and again, they might be worth looking at just because, who knows, if you can get one clue, you know, that would be so helpful in, in your quest to find out what's going on here. You know, we, we did try to do that with one of our uh, one of our uh, one of the individuals that was with one of our victims that, uh, that went one night. The only way we could do that, Doc, was if we 
and we did that again with uh, one living, uh, uh, you know, witness. If he if he remembered anything, you know. But we we never we have never followed up on that with him. But we did follow. We did try to do it with one of the guys who was with one of our victims, and uh, the police tried to pin it on him as if like he killed this kid, and we knew he did it because the oh, victim was yeah. uh, in the show uh, when Luke was on. He was on. Uh, you know, he was still in the bars drinking when his other kid was at the hospital. And we've had that too, where we've had multiple victims drugged on the same evening and wound up in the hospitals. And now here's a two, what we try to figure out with that too: was that was that a a thing where they drugged two individuals hoping to get one, and they just took the one they got, which is which makes you know more logical sense, or was it also a thing where you know if worse comes to worse, when we get our guy, if another kid is drugged and he winds up in the hospital sagging around, falling down, drunk in the street, and the police take him to the hospital, that the police just say, "Geez." It's too bad that so-and-so fell in the drink, but you know what? There's, these kids are so drunk. We had another kid, two other kids that we wanted to take at the hospital the same night. These kids could have found a, fell in the Mississippi River, too. Was that the wow. thing to make it look like it so? So we don't know which scenario was it. You know, right. did, they get, did they get the main guy they wanted, or did they just drug a couple in the case? You know, they weren't able to separate him from the friends. But it's amazing that in multiple cases we have, there was multiple participants and there was multiple uh, attempted victims who had been drugged down the same evening that wound up, you know, in the emergency room, and their friends had gone missing and wound up drowned. So, you know, um, you know, it, it, there is there is a level of sophistication to this this uh, group and this organization. It certainly you know, is. Is really good. Well, even even with GHB, now I'm pretty familiar with that drug. But does it really wipe your memory? I mean, my understanding of that drug is it incapacitates you, and it can make you very fuzzy, hazy. But does it wipe right. your memory? Is that one of the characteristics of it or not? I don't know. That's, you know one of the things I was going to do is I told Doc and the guys, you know, you should put it on. You know, let me take some of this and find out <laughs> what it does. See if, somebody can, see, if somebody, see if somebody can walk me out of the boat. Well, you need a controlled study. You need to find out what mm-hmm. it really does. Right. That's a good point. You know, see, if somebody could, see if somebody could take me out of the bar and I wasn't aware of it. You know what I mean? Because that's what I always saw. I saw one time they get on one of the TV shows where the guy was on GHB and they walked him out of the bar. He's like, oh, and he couldn't, he couldn't tell the people next to him, like, they're, they're abducting me. I'm a police officer. Don't do it. And, you know, they took him to the basement. They were going to torture him and everything. And the police actually came and rescued him right at the end of the episode. But I was like, well, that looks like it. But I'm wondering if he if he really did know. Because, of course, like I said, a couple of victims that Doc had spoken to and the one I spoke to from Minnesota, they didn't remember anything. They didn't recall anything. It was almost as if, you know, like the Cosby incident. They know somebody essentially assaulted them, but uh, they don't really remember anything from what happened that night, you know. So I don't right. know if these guys are good enough as far as how much is it a certain amount of GHB they have to give them, otherwise they might be awake. That may be part of it too, because GHB has a half life of like twenty minutes. So you know, we get a kid who's like you know, he's got twenty milligrams and the police go, Well, it's not that much, but twenty minutes earlier it was forty, twenty minutes before that, an hour early, he was at eighty. You know, well that's that's pretty incapacitated, especially mm-hmm. if you got a point one two yeah. or a point one six, you know, B C A at the same mm-hmm. time, B A C at the same time. Right, and right. In cases where the parents have asked us for advice, and we we tell them, well, check and see if you still have liver tissue samples, your specimens. Right, and they That's do. So they haven't tested for GHB, and they come back with, uh, you know, eighty-five, one hundred and thirty, you know, micrograms. So we're talking about levels that are way above anything that would be normally in the human body. 
And right. it, it definitely inconsistent with postmortem production. And the reason I say that is because if you're going to attribute the GHB to postmortem production, you also have to have alcohol production. And not just ethanol, but all of the alcohols. And they all come right. in different proportions to each other. Like ethanol to end propanol is one with 20 to one. Right. You know? So isopropanol, these isopropanol things should be in proportion. So if you've got that much GHB, you should have a lot of alcohol. And in many of the cases where the individual has the high GHB, their BAC is like 0.08. 0.085, 0.12, uh, you know, they're really not that drunk, but they've got this right. GHB at a level that would make them sleepier or actually out. There's uh, another drug that has been like an urban legend for years, but now there's a, actually a lot of evidence on YouTube that it, it really is um, coming out of South America. Some people call it the zombie drug, the devil's breath. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, scopolamine. Uh huh. And it literally steals your will. You you can be walked. You're still walking upright, and I can walk up to you. It, it's almost like like waking hypnosis. I can just walk up and say, "I want you to give me all the money in your pockets," and you'll hand me all your money. And then five hours later, you're talking to a friend and you say, "What?" Where's my money? What gave it to him? What? Well, <laughs> you, know? you see, and, and that's what makes me think that with Dakota James, for example, when he was willingly walking by himself to that dark SUV, that's what made mm-hmm. me think there has to be something else involved. Maybe it is this other drug you're mentioning, but there's something mm-hmm. that these people don't think clearly in any way shape form or manner and they'll just go off with anyone willingly and clearly they're going off willingly with these people these military trained people god knows who they are but it's now this started the first case you identified anyways was in 1997 what about today now here we are in 2019 do you have any more recent cases that have come to your attention oh yeah all the time now. We get calls all the time for uh, these cases that, you know, that we, we usually get Google alerts when somebody goes missing under this yeah. criteria of, you know, male drinking, uh, wind up drowned, young males, you know. But uh, there's a couple of where the families have actually started calling us for one. Did you see this one from a year ago or two years ago? Yeah, that we actually missed that we didn't have all of them. So there's a, there's a, you don't realize how many are really happening across the United States that we're not aware of. That's, and it doesn't mean they're connected all of them. We, we can't connect them. So our group, unless we go to the scene, if we go to the scene and our graffiti is there along with the smiley face, then we're pretty sure our guys were there not to have coffee. You know, if, our, if we have a victim and we have their symbols, then we know that they were there. You know, and so like I, I said on Dr. Phil, you know, our database is like 350. We have 100 cases where we have the paperwork where we could probably prove homicide. But there's another 100 cases where we can connect it to the group. So we have like 200 where we can say those are connected to the group, but we don't have we can't prove a homicide because we don't have all the police paperwork and the toxicology reports yet. But I'm saying if we have that much, right. the other 150 fit the, the pattern. I'm even I'm, I could even say that out of the other 150 from the 200, that I would say 70, 75 percent of those guys are probably connected too, even though I haven't been there because there's 
they're so close in, you know, you said in the, in the pat, fitting a pattern that I can't believe that those kids were all actions, you know. Even if half of yes. them, you're still talking about another 75 minimum. So, I mean, you're talking, about, you know, a major, major amount of young men. You're talking, you know, 250, 275 to 300 kids already, you know. That's a lot. And have you looked into any of the cases that have been reported in the U.K.? I understand that they're reporting upwards of 100 very similar cases to yours. Well, there's there's over 80 in Manchester, the Manchester Pusher. Uh, I have uh, five cases in Southern Ireland, uh, a couple in Wales. Uh, I think there's like four or five up in Scotland. 21 in France, uh, so there there are European cases that fit this. Right. Do they all have the so smiley face left with them as well? I don't I have, know. You know I, I have a friend of mine in London that went to a few scenes and found them, but like the Manchester pusher, we thought might have been connected, but we're, we're thinking now that, that, I mean, the fact that those those men are mostly gay, that looks mm-hmm. clearly like a hate crime. Now, whether or not our group is involved with that, it could be. But as far, right now, we know that that most likely is a hate crime. But I do have some smiley faces in some other parts of England, but they weren't where the Manchester pusher was. So I don't know if the Manchester, those those 80 or 90 young men that I was talking about, mm-hmm. which are mostly gay, were smiley face connected. Because we haven't been there yet. So we were actually thinking about going out there this summer. But the other cases... Some of them in France and in England, yeah, we believe that those cases would be connected to, to our, our our stuff. Amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, what makes was, me, again, uh, go back to. There was one case in France in where an American who was in, in France, France, an American who lives over there, uh, had had known about the cases from being in the States and everything. And the one happened, and it was a, a young gay male again. Uh, and um, so he went down there, and sure enough, in the alley right next to the bar was a smiley face, you know. But mm-hmm. there, there has to be this other graffiti associated with it. That's how we distinguish whether okay. or not this happens to be somebody – putting it up there yeah. or, uh, or not. Copycat. Um, on, on that note, though, I right. did get an interesting email uh, two weeks ago from a guy who is part of a tagger crew, and he said nobody is going to take the time to put up just a smiley face and not put up their personal tag or something else. Uh, and it would mm-hmm. naturally be maybe not necessarily be in the same paint, but you're going to be able to tell it was done at the same time, especially if you check it, you know, check that area routinely. And right. of course he does, he, did, he didn't comment on the other graffiti that we're looking for, but he said an isolated smiley face. And I would agree. And, you know, once in a while I see that just a smiley face and that's the only thing there. Or maybe a, a smiley face and a marijuana leaf. Well, okay, that's not ours. Mm-hmm. That's not ours. Okay. But if it's a smiley and then one of these other 12 symbols, um, yeah, there's a really good chance of it. Well, the fact that this is happening in other countries, again, makes me think that there is a real mission to this. And I know you're considering a hate crime, which, of course, is reasonable. 
but this seems so different. This seems like there's something they're after. They're they're trying to achieve something or some strange goal by doing this. And to me, it looks like it's involving a technology or an experimentation that may be outside of our realm of understanding. It just seems so um, purposeful. Let me put it that way. Oh, I, I believe I, I, we yeah. believe it's purposeful. And when we show you, when we when we put out who's doing it and why they're doing it, um, I think I think then it would it'll start making more sense from what we know. I mean, you know, uh, doesn't mean when they have these young men for a period of time. I don't know specifically what they're doing with them. You know, like I said, it would be nice to uh, be nice to have somebody who have actually gotten away. But um, I don't. To be honest with you, these guys are too good at what they've been doing. I don't. I don't see them getting away once they. Uh, if, Unless they get away from the additional abduction. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't see them, I don't see them getting away once they, once they're, uh, once they've been abducted. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Just, I don't either. I think that's just uh, nearly impossible to get away because they are so incapacitated and their mind are is just a blank. So it would be very difficult for anybody to escape unless they had some, some amazing uh, metabolism and they were immune <laughs> to the yeah. types of drugs that they're being socked with. Um, but you now I noticed that uh, oxygen did bring in a psychic, and it was the young man. I, his name escapes me, uh, but he was unable to oh, really get any Tyler, valuable Tyler, information. Tyler Henry, where he does the uh, he does the um, yeah, he the does Hollywood, Hollywood medium show. Yeah, the Hollywood uh-huh. show. He did, Hollywood yeah, he does a lot of celebrities. Like yeah, well, yeah, 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 he looks like a, he's very young. Uh, but he didn't seem to come up with anything. Well, which is unusual. One, one of the mom, which yeah, but he came up one thing with one name that he said that you should look at, and it was one of it was one of our victims. One friends, of the friends. And he said he right. He knew more, you know. And when I spoke mm-hmm. to uh, Barbara, you know, Doc and I, we spoke. She, you know, she wanted to speak to him, you know. So he, you know, so he and he was somebody we were looking at, but he wasn't the. We know some of the, we know who some of the we, like we actually have some of the bad guys. We know who some of the victims who have been killed. We know who they've been killed by, and uh, we have real suspects in the case. And in that case, we did. And we know this young man that he had mentioned was a peripheral, uh, uh, you know, character. He wasn't really part of one of the group that was really involved with Tommy's death, but yet he might have, you know, on a you know uh, on a peripheral. Uh, Mission. He was kind of. He'd be somebody on the outskirts that may have known something. You know, he'd have some kind of information, even with just ancillary at best. You know, but he he would know something, and that's something to talk to him about. Now. But we know he wasn't an intimate part of the, um, you know, the abduction crew or involved with Tommy's death. But so that was the only one he really. I think that he really came up with. You know, some, some yeah, of, he didn't really come up with Barbara. anything else. I, yeah. I do recall that he mentioned a friend who may know more, but he really didn't have any other information, which I found unusual because uh, really good psychic mediums can sometimes narrow this down. But he was unable to get much, and he said that. He said he couldn't really get much what? at the time, the, which was strange, the too. Of, of the drug that they're on, were they, do you feel that they were drugged continually the whole time that they were missing? We do. Oh, um, to manage them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So was there a large amount of drugs in the body when they were found, or was it 
just enough to let you know what it was, but not. Uh, no, well, there was a lot uh, of sometimes. Mm-hmm. Generally, GHB, rohypnol, those types of drugs, especially GHB, um, is is not the typical drug that they screen for. And there's between the screening test and a quantitative test. Mm-hmm. Uh, screening test is is hot or cold. You know, it's positive. You come up positive for a class of drugs like barbiturates, amphetamines, and mm-hmm. so forth. And only in a couple cases did the medical examiner. And now this is interesting. The medical examiner was suspicious enough that she tested for GHB. Good. Right off to get right off to get Good for her. But then she closes it as an accidental death. Mm. And she did I mean, find yeah. it. She did find it. Now, in another case, the individual had phenylethylamine, PEA, which was debilitating. But other than that, uh, like I said, the parents come to us, and then we tell them, do you have liver tissue? In 100% of the cases where the specimen still existed and we paid for the testing for the parents and... Uh, in 100% of those cases, we have found GHB. Under hmm. the circumstances and since these uh, additional uh, things are found around the body, like the smiley face, et cetera, why don't they or have they not started to just automatically test for a GHB or whatever because of the circumstance? Because or do they, they not they pay attention the to it? Well, it's an extra $300 for them. Yeah. Right. Okay. And it's money, and they, they, they you know, they're using the, the city doesn't you know, have money until unless they think there's some kind of suspicious matter, which mm-hmm. they says they're they're not doing that. So their attitude is, you know, why exhaust money and manpower and everything that right. they're doing to investigate these? So they they close them, which is you know, which is unfortunate, you know, for us and for the families of the victims. I mean, it, it's not fair, but you know, and this is what we were trying to do is just to try to enlighten the law enforcement and the communities that you know, something else might be going on here. I think you guys need to take a you know a little closer look at this and if you need mm-hmm. some help we'll come in and assist you and not here to, you know, just trash you and disparage you and make you look incompetent. You know, nobody wants some bunch of retired guys coming in second guessing their work, but you know, you know, if you if you're not aware of what's going on and, and like especially with the gang and you know our background, plus especially Doc's being a gang expert, you know, um, mm-hmm. and comes in and tells you here's, here's something that might be happening in your community. You got to look at that. You know, we've had that, we had that even in the city where you know we weren't aware of a different a different group that was coming in. You know, and then uh, you know like the Bloods and Crips. I mean, that was a West Coast thing. You know, really back in the you know the 80s, and then all of a sudden right. we started getting something right here. I mean, it was like, well, we we got to get up on this because you know it wasn't. They travel. That we saw in the South Bronx. You know what I mean? Now all of a sudden you got to say, hey, yeah. And, and how do they how do they operate? Well, how do they do that? How do they move their their guns? How do they move their drugs? How do they operate? You know, how do they use their uh, you know lookouts? What you know? What, what's the, what, what's the, the criteria? How, how do they do it? So otherwise, you know, you you can't you can't apprehend them. You have to you know you have to be you, you got to have the playbook. You know, let's <laughs> have a playbook. Right. You know who the players are. So you know you need to know that. Well, now, you guys are tracking some pretty bad guys. Do you ever get concerned that they're going to turn on you? Uh, yeah, not, not, as, not as much. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it could be. Sometimes I always say, you know, if, if they came and they, 
came after me that it would be pretty clear that, uh, you know, maybe that guy was right. Maybe there was something going on. Maybe we should have been listening to him. Maybe that would spur an investigation. But I think they've been so good at what they've been doing, you know, uh, like a subversive move, you know, movement that, you know, they they feel pretty good that they don't have to do anything. And they know that law enforcement is either not adept at, you know, investigating these or at this point doesn't even care. They just figure like, hey, I think sometimes there was, there was so much taunting that they would almost put information right out in, into the public domain as if, let's see what else we can do to get away with it. See if they'll even question it. See if they'll even somebody in the newspaper will say something. Because it's like, you know, they would, they, you can see them getting more bold and more brazen. And it, and it, it might even be a little bit of a taunting. It's almost like maybe it's a, you know, it could be a little bit of a rush for them. I mean, so, you know, we, you know, we don't know, but I'm just saying you can see, we've seen changes in some of the, you know, that they're not going to be stupid. But, yet at the same time, you know, they, they put a little bit out there, and you're seeing how, how, how far can they go to push the envelope. Everybody likes to push the envelope a little bit, whether you're a fighter mm-hmm. pilot or you're a, you know, you're a Navy SEAL or you're or these guys, you're a killer, you know, serial killer. They do the same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah well, they, they seem we, to be. We're really not much of a threat. If you think about yeah, it, we're really exactly. not much of a threat. All we can do is educate the you know, police departments because, you know, they're not, like Kevin said in in the very beginning, they're not trained in how to handle a drowning. Uh, a body that's recovered from water is, it. that's it. It's a body recovered from water. It's not a crime scene. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty much the way they've been trained. So they just do what they've been trained. In. And we don't have arrest authority. So, you right. know, we're not the threat. The police officers are still the threat. We're just mm-hmm. educators to get people to but learn more can... about this into it. But you could be a threat if you start to reveal what's really going on. That's my, uh, you know, my concern for your mm-hmm. safety, I guess, with this. Because well, again, yeah, I get what you're saying, saying if though. They we really, if, they, if they thought we really knew something, maybe they're, they're probably saying, "Hey, those guys are like they know something's going on, but nobody's listening to them. They're probably laughing at us too." Like, I you know, well, yeah, you're right. They have nobody cares. Yeah, they have a level of arrogance about it because they've gotten away with it so many times and over right. such a long period of time. So yeah. they probably feel they've got it down to a science and nobody's going to catch them. Exactly. But all it takes well, is one mistake. Saying, if, they, if we kill these guys, if they kill us, people say, shit, maybe those guys were right. Where it's part of my life. Yeah. But the idea is the, 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 other, the other thing is it, it's, like, it's like these guys are coming out with something. Oh, they, they found that other piece of evidence. Nobody's listening to them. They just, oh, my God, we can yeah, do anything. Nobody, nobody, nobody cares. Right. <laughs> There's a bunch of conspiracy well, nuts, you know what I mean? So, Right. But, you know, this is what's so great about the Oxygen series that you've done. I mean, bringing this to light, going on Dr. Mm-hmm. Phil, going on Dr. Oz, you know, bringing this into people's living rooms, I really commend you. I think this is what needs to happen. People need to get aware. And as this, uh, as will, it will continue to happen. And parents need to know what to do, what to ask for, what to tell their young men to beware of. And also, God forbid, there's another body that turns up. They need to ask the police to do certain things. So you're really raising awareness on a a tremendous level. Thank God you're doing a great job. And I also want to mention you have two other team members. You have Anthony Duarte and Mike Donovan, and again, you guys make a terrific team. But this is scary stuff. I mean, you're very brave. I, I know you think you're not at risk, but I kind of sit back and wonder. 
Yeah, for sure. That is for sure. Well, well, thank you for the compliments, but you know, we just feel like it's it's on John. Somebody's got to do it, you know, and you know, so you know, um, it's on. Well, job. you're doing it well. Yeah. Well, we hope. Now, tell And I, you know, we do have insurance policies, uh, <laughs> and and I don't mean life insurance. I mean, <laughs> I have individuals who I have extreme confidence in. Uh, Kevin knows a couple of them as well, uh, who I'm talking to, uh, who know exactly what we know. Maybe not Mm -hmm. to the extreme extent or whatever you want to call it, but they do know what the graffiti means, what the other symbols are, and who's doing it. And should something happen to us, they know where to find my backup copy of my hard drive. Oh, good. Wonderful. Okay, well, then you've, you've really yeah, covered no, yourself with that. I thought he meant nine millimeters and uh, yeah. AK-47. <laughs> oh, I, thought. Or I, thought, I thought he was talking about, I thought he was talking about 40 he carried. I, I yeah, I thought he was talking about oh, Smith I, and Wesson. Come on. Yeah I, thought, yeah, yeah, I thought he was talking about the heat, you know, bring the heat. But, you know, I guess he was talking about, he was talking about right. a life insurance policy. Intelligence. Well, Doc is a professor, so. Right, right. But Doc, no, he's, military, you. he's got that big he's got that big gun, believe me when I tell you. Yeah, oh, I travel to the Smith and Wesson. Oh, yeah, he's got that forty caliber and most stuff. Have you ever been sixteen years in the army and not learned how to fire a weapon? That's right. Yeah, no, he's pretty That's good right. at what he does. No, he's, he's, he's good. Have you been threatened I saw in that in since all this started? Yes. I Have you did been receive, in any way uh, since this all oh has goodness, started? 20, 2011, 2012, I did receive a death threat in the email. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Um, but they they tracked that individual down, and it, it turned out to be an idle threat. And, and yeah, it was actually kind of ridiculous <laughs> because the individual was accusing me of being the one who was doing the killings. Oh, oh wow. Jesus. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> Somebody yeah. Did you tell me you didn't like water? <laughs> didn't well, we're going to track people, too. So we can track people down. Obviously, our guys that we're looking at, they're really good at what they do. Trust me when I tell you, I have to give them a lot of credit. I mean, listen, they're they're good. Like, like, we, like we mentioned, they, they communicate on the dark web. They, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're listen, they've been getting away with this for good. how many years now? You know, it's over 20-something years. So it's 97, that's 20. 22 years, I mean, it's, um, you know, you, you have to be tired professional now. what are you doing. Yeah. Right. You know, Doc, let me ask you so. a question. I know when, at the beginning of the show you mentioned that you have a lot of variables that you're considering. Can you give us an idea of some of the other variables that you've looked into or the commonalities among these young men? Uh, oh, yeah, that's yeah, good. Well... Let me grab my a copy of the book here. And it's in, uh, let's see here, Victim Profile Operationalization Appendix E in the book. Okay. So we had personal data, and that, of course, was name, last name, first name, ancestry, date of birth, all that kind of stuff. Uh, their primary language and any secondary languages or tertiary languages that they spoke. Uh, marital status, job, financial status, employment was a part-time, full-time, 
you know, was it a job or a career for them? Uh, and then so, their so activities. So this is pretty comprehensive. Yeah, and and their criminal history, and then one, and I really didn't think about this until we got Campbell's case. And talking to the girlfriend, okay. says he feared water so much that when they beat you, he wouldn't even get off the grass and go out on the sand. But yet really? he supposedly, in the rain, left the bar, walked out onto the deck overhanging the river so he could pee in it and fell in. That doesn't wow. make sense. That's a Boy, he even get that close to the water. So mm-hmm. one of the variables I dropped, and I had to ask the family and friends about this, was the attitude towards water. Right. So that's a pretty unique at, variable. So there was only one that came up with that show. fear, or was there another one? Oh, no, there's several. In our show, there, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Patty. Luke Holm was the number second victim on a... Uh, at the oxygen show, and his mother Patty said, not only did she say, stay away from the water, he goes, Mom, I never go near the water. You know, I hate the water. So he was another oh. one that would never, never mm-hmm. like the water. So there's a lot of victims like that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And, and was there course, anything physical else? Data. Physical was data. So they could height and all that stuff. Their right, health data. Right, and all that matched up. Okay. Because was there anything in the health data, data that was uh, that correlated no, Anything no. that struck you in their health data, the nothing. Okay. I wanted to know if they had an allergy and they were taking a medication for it. Or, right. you know, if they, if they had a heart condition or depression or something like that. Uh, and we looked at substance use, alcohol, uh, illicit, as well as prescription drugs, uh, marijuana, you know, whatever, psychological history. Looked at their scholastic data, their major DP mm-hmm. athletic scholarship. That's interesting, too. Even though most of them were either the high scorer or the captain on their team, they weren't in college on an athletic scholarship. They were there on an academic scholarship because they were either a 3.9 or a 4.0. Whoa. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, so they were that's super smart. Well, that's why we were saying yep. they were taking the best of the best. They were trying to trying to take uh, take these take these kids out, you know. Um, so we looked at that as a level of domestic terrorism and the fact of what is the country always saying we need? Like Doc said earlier, we need science, technology, engineers, uh, and math, and everything is STEM. And obviously, get women more involved in that because men were you know, basically uh, you know taking over that field. But and then here, what are you doing? You're taking out these guys. Is there a reason why you're taking these guys out? You know, like they always said, Rome fell from, from within. You know, it's the kind of thing like that. Is, 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 it, is it to try to take these uh, young men out? Does that, you know, lower our, uh, the United States' uh, you know, st- status in the world? And, you know, uh, we, we know that a lot of the engineers now are coming from India and, you know, from China. So, you know, uh, you know they're trying to make it, you know, uh, even, even easier to get some of those engineers over here with, uh, you know, with green cards, what happens if the ones that are here that are studying wind up, uh, you know, being abducted and murdered? Almost like those that physicist thing that you said that Paulie said, you know, I did read about that. Yeah, like, the five Germans that? who like, disappeared. Yeah, I was like, what happened to that? I mean, that was like crazy when we read that. I said, that really seems like government-oriented or something, you know, but, um, you know, like a CIA Well, it definitely does. Or, You're you know, right. Or, or, or a Kremlin type yeah. of thing, or take them out. That that seemed like something 
totally different than we were looking at. But it was something that obviously we you know, caught our eye, and then we said, geez, how is, how is there any relation to that to our group when we first started? We looked at all of that, that other kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, because it, just to me, looking at this, and I mean, obviously I'm a lay person. I don't have the training that either one of you have. But, I mean, I, I'm looking at a very sophisticated situation with these people. They're going to a lot of trouble to cover their tracks. And I, I, to me, I'm thinking, but why would it just be a hate crime? Why There's got to be something more to this story. And you guys may know and yeah. not be able to say yet. There's got to be something more. I mean, it's a lot of trouble to go to. Um, well, and especially again, to keep them for the period of time that they do in some cases. Yes. I mean, that they could be discovered, you know, taking them to a, a hidden location somewhere. But, again, right. that's a long period of time to have somebody at a location and risk discovery. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of trouble to go through. And, obviously, no, they, this one young man, life. they kept him alive for 77 days. That's a darn long time. Uh, so why? I mean, about moving the body, even though you're doing it at night, you gotta subducting the body is dangerous enough. Now you gotta bring back, you know, a, a, a deceased human being and put them in the in the water in a spot where hopefully nobody's there, and hope that nobody you don't have a car accident or somebody pulls you over, and right. you have a body in the back in the trunk or whatever. I mean, it's you know, I mean, really, you, it, it's uh, it's 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 pretty brazen. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it, it well, is. I don't know how There's a lot to this. Exactly. For 77 now, days. Now, is his, yeah. was he as healthy at that point in time as he was at the point in time that he was abducted? Yeah, he, he looked almost pristine. That's what made it so easy. I said to Dr. Phil, listen, mm-hmm. Doc, if, if these young men were in the water one quarter of the time that they were missing, you know, sometimes even one tenth of the time mm-hmm. in a case like Brian, seven days, I said, right. we wouldn't be having this discussion because we're, we're really good investigators, but we're not that good. The body would be all decayed and black. And I, at, once you get to that level uh, of that, that, that type of decomposition, you don't know. You know it's at least seven, eight days. There's really very little evidence left. Of, so is it seven? Mm-hmm. Is it 77? What they showed in the Todd God case in the last episode, you know, by the 14th day, that body was being ravaged by the insect activity. So but he was missing 21 days and had nothing. So at, four, at 14 days, after 14 days, and the body's like that, and it's, and, and, and it's all ravaged, how, how you can't tell whether he was in the water for 14 days, whether it was 40 days. You know, so, so believe me, but it, it, obviously it's easy for us if, if a body is missing 70 days and he looks like he's been dead for only two or three days or seven mm-hmm. days, like in Brian's case, it makes it a little easier. You know? So you know, same thing like Dakota James. He's missed, Todd Guy's missing 21 days. He's only dead for two and a half days. Two and a half days and, and 21 days is a big difference. So, you know, when a kid looks like he just came out of the shower and he's missing for a week or yeah. so, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty scary. You know, and it's something the normal investigators should know that also. say like, this doesn't match, but they don't know. And they, at that point, they just let it go. And, and, and that's what we, we're disappointed. We're disappointed more in the medical examiner sometime than, um, than some of the, uh, you know, some of the cops because the medical examiners you would think would know more, but, even I've spoken to some medical examiners, and they say, we don't know about the levels of decomposition. Our main job is to open the body up, do an autopsy, and see what transpired. You know what I mean? Was he mm-hmm. drunk? You know, if they did the real test, like Doc said with the GHB for the liver, was there GHB? Was there a drug? What could have facilitated this death? You know, they're looking for strangulation. They're looking for, you know, other different things, trauma, 
contusions, you know, some kind of, you know, blow to the head, blow to the body. When they when we have that in the Dakota James case where he was strangled and they missed that, that was disturbing, you know, because that was a medical examiner. That was different than, you know, a, a really badly decomposed body, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, also, in a lot of these cases, you're saying that the death cause of death was undetermined. They couldn't even determine what killed these young men. Exactly. And, and well, yeah, yeah, but uh, for example, uh, chapter eight in our book, Jelani Brinson, I sat with uh, Janice Amatuzio, the medical examiner, and I had read the autopsy and I was trying to decide of all the pictures she had, which ones I needed. And she had finished writing another report, so we sat down and we proceeded to go through the photographs and discuss the autopsy. And she put right in there that he couldn't have been dead any longer than 18 hours prior to being found in that water. But he'd been missing for eight days. And it really frustrated her that she could not find a medical reason for his death. Right. That you know, could be so telling or anything on the body. Pick up all the oxygen yeah. and pass out, and then eventually die. That poor medical examiner is going to be left with no cause of death, and in that point, they have they are left with no other option but to put undetermined for cause of death. Mm, well, wow. for me, I would make it a homicide. To me, I call that semantics because if you know the body's been missing for a week but he's only dead for 18 hours before yeah. the body was recovered. You have to say to yourself, where was he for the other seven and a half days? Exactly. And, and not like, oh, he was out, you know, he was hanging out hunting or fishing with his friend, or he went hanging out down in Vegas for a week with his friend and now wound up, come back, and then, and then drowned. I mean, so where, where was he? And he didn't call his mother, and there's, and, and, and there's, and there's police reports on looking for this kid. It doesn't make sense to me. So I, to me, I no, it doesn't. But they're, they're saying that they can't do anything but make it a, you know, accident. And this is what it really shows about drownings. And we think that, that we know a better thing about drowning than most medical examiners. And the fact that drowning, there's no real cause of drowning. The real drowning is an exclusionary diagnosis when nothing else is left by. Right. So what they say is, though, alcohol, acute alcohol intoxication, drowning, some water in the lungs. We failed to determine that. Most of the drownings that we've seen that are real drownings, the victims have over a thousand uh, milligrams, milliliters of, of fluid in their of lungs. water. Yes, so, exactly. And, and you're water. finding bodies without that. So let me ask you this because unfortunately right. we're coming thing, to we're the real, end of our. I'm going to tell you one thing. The other thing that we would like is that they would test the water in the lungs, you would think, just to see if they really drowned in the Mississippi and didn't drown That's in the right. Ooh. And the only time That's they would very do that, like that would be if it was a wife. If yeah. it was a husband and wife, I'll tell you one thing. If a wife wound up in the water, they'd say, oh, that was a homicide. The husband must have murdered her. That would get That's the right. investigation <laughs> that these young men should get. You know it. You know it. Well, listen, mm-hmm. guys, I hate to, to end this conversation because it has been such a delightful <laughs> evening, even though we're talking about a very difficult subject. You two are so knowledgeable, and I know your heart is in what you're doing, and we can't thank you enough for what you're doing. How can we all support you? That's my last question for the night. How can we all support your efforts? in getting uh, getting renewed by oxygen and going on with your investigation. What can we do? Uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you. Uh, my thing, you talk might have something. My thing eventually is I think I should write a change.org. Have somebody check our website. We'll put up, maybe put up a change.org, and if they click on it to say, yes, the police or FBI should investigate it, 
We know that 100,000 signatures now, it automatically goes through the White House and the FBI with then as being the investigative body would have to investigate it. So that's something Good. you may have to do. Check our website, GDI uh, Global Death Investigations, and, and, and then eventually we'll put one up, and hopefully that would be something that would really help, you know? Well, we will Very make sure good. that our audience helps you out. We will help you out with that because you're doing great work. And honestly, yep. we can't thank you enough no. for everything. What thank you, you can do not to go on. to Oxygen's Facebook and just make a comment about the episodes okay. and about the book or the series. Mm-hmm. And, okay, Definitely. so we'll go to the Oxygen um, Facebook. I will post your website as well uh, for GD Investigations, and mm-hmm. we'll make sure yeah. that we rally yeah. the troops as best we can to make sure no, that uh, people are aware. I'm sorry, could you repeat that, yeah. Doc? Then we can help out six more families. Six more. That'd oh, be great. God. That'd be wow. Great. That, uh, yeah, we, we really want this well, we, we've to already, continue. We've already, we've already turned a couple of the cases, so a couple of them have already turned already, so that's pretty good. So, you know, they're already, some of the uh, law enforcement are, are coming along on board, so that's, that's actually a, a positive thing, you know? That's oh, a that's great wonderful. thing. Great thing. Well, again, thank you, gentlemen. We'd well, love you, to ladies. have you back. We, we will definitely invite you back again because, again, we just loved having you on the show. Very stimulating conversation this evening. A lot to think about. So definitely. next week, everybody, we'll be back with Frank Chili. One, one we're last talking thing about, oh, we're talking our website about has UFOs. email address, and they can send us tips and stories. That would really help. Oh, Okay, oh, we will make sure that they know that as well. Okay, and everybody will be back next week with Frank Chili talking again about UFOs and the government cover-up. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl. Thank you, guys. It was a great show. That it thank was. Thank you, Patricia. That it thank was. you, guys. Both of you guys. It was terrific. Thank you, ladies, so much. Yeah, I don't have to thank you. It was really good. Okay. We'll keep Thanks. in touch, and please do the same. Yeah. Listen, as soon as we start putting the stuff out, we'll let you know. We'll come back. I'll tell you who the killers are. Okay? Uh, okay. We can't wait to hear. Okay. Good work. Okay, Thanks we'll so much. Talk to you soon. Bye thank now. you. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye.